Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 82. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 1983. Would it be perfect if it was 82? Because 82 is it. <laughs> anyway. You know what? It could have come out in 82 if they'd worked a little harder. The 1982... Nope. 1983. Horror film. Curtains. curtains. It's curtains. This movie, directed by Jonathan Stryker, comes to us from <laughs> Amazon Prime. And we'll have yeah. a lot to say about that. All of it. All of it. The the Jonathan Stryker part, the Amazon Prime part, the this is a movie part. Just all of it. <laughs> we should start off by saying, would we recommend that people log on to Amazon Prime and no. watch this? No, 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 no. The logging on to Amazon Prime part, for sure, no. Um, this is a very, very bad TV movie transfer. It is not TV, because they say fuck, but it is... Uh, it's TV. It is ripped... Actually, do you want to talk about it now? The whole the whole thing? And we just launch in? No, do you want me to talk about the transfer? Sure. It comes from a VHS that was originally released in 1984 by Vestron. Mm-hmm. It accumulated enough of a cult status over the years that by 2010, it still didn't have a DVD release. And what fans this movie does have were like, please give us a DVD. Give me it, yeah. So they did, and they made that DVD based on this 1984 VHS with what appears to be limited to no remastering. It is this this version that has shown up (laughs) on Prime Video... It's in the wrong aspect ratio. Well, it's cut for TV. That's what that's what I mean when I say TV movie, right? Like it is it is cut for your television screen. That's why it's square, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. All, most VHS releases were like that. Right. And this was also this this became a staple of like late night television. I will get into that later when I talk oh, about yeah? this, but like this yeah, that's how that I think that's how this achieved its cult status. It did very 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 poorly theatrically, but it had a big late night TV following, and that's how it accumulated its its big cult. I mean, it's probably small, but big enough to demand a DVD release. Part of why I wanted to mention the transfer is, one, it really impacted my viewing of this, which we'll talk about throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. But also, it's interesting that it did show up in 2010 as part of the Midnight Horror Collection Bloody Slashers DVD with three other unrelated movies that were direct-to-DVD movies from the 2000s that alongside Curtains. Weird, okay. Very strange. And it still looked like shit. Would you like me to read the titles? Yes. I can't believe you still had to do research. You were like, do you want to be in charge of research this episode? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then you still were like, no, I got to do some research. Hoboken Hollow, Secrets of the Clown, and Room 33. I've never heard of any of those. I wondered if Room 33, but I think I'm thinking of like 1408. Anyway, this DVD release looks like shit and is not a testament to the quality of the film. No. In 2014, it finally got a... Release from Synapse, I believe. Yes. Uh, and so there is a version out there. I've seen screenshots that I looked at on Google that, that looks actually good. looks like a watchable movie. First of all, it's in the right aspect ratio. And second the, of all, you can see scenes that are shot in the darkness. There's color. This movie is, is colorless. It could be in black and white because of how dark <laughs> the picture is. Again, we'll talk about this throughout the episode because. Again, the reason I would say don't watch this is because it looks so bad. No, and I think that the only. The only kind of fun aspect of it, aspect, is that it is atmospheric. Like, it, like to me, it adds this kind of vibe of, like, watching a really shitty horror movie on TV really late at night, and it's kind of just a fun slasher. Like, I think it has that vibe to it, and I can see how it became beloved from that kind of viewing. Well, I also, I, it, it did also give me the thought, like, 
This is the way that our forefathers watched horror movies. That's what I'm saying. They rented these shitty VHS tapes. Yeah. And this is the only or version available. Or they saw available. it on TV, and I think that's fun. Well, th- again, this has, like, gore in it, and they also do swear, and you couldn't do that on television. Right. So this is not the made-for-TV cut. Sure, but, but there is a, yeah. But it yeah. still has that vibe. I think it's still just, like, it's not for, it's not for the... Um, careful and thorough movie watcher. It is the kind of movie that you throw up kind of in the background to, to create a mood, I would say. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But I also think that, like, again, if if we were doing a podcast in the 80s, if we had a radio show, <laughs> if we had a regional... What are those 80s podcasts called? The radio? I'm just saying, if we had a regional basement radio show in the 1980s yeah. that we did on a CB radio, yeah. and we were talking about horror movies, this is how... Maybe not everything is this bad, but this is how most of the movies we watch would look. Yeah. And it, it was it was like a bit of a humbling moment. Again, we do live in 2020, and I do have to evaluate that yes. by the standard of the thing that's streaming in my home on the internet. Yes. And you couldn't see certain scenes. So, like, obviously the way that you want to watch a movie is where you can actually see what's happening. But it did, I feel like, put us both in touch with our roots. Yeah. I love... I kind of had fun, honestly. It's not a bad movie. It's not a horrible movie. No, 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 no. There's enough here to talk about that we're not going to say this is a piece of shit. Yeah. Again, if you can get your hands on that Blu-ray, I might watch it because there's enough interesting here. But I, the yeah. the format of this show is stuff that's streaming on the internet, and the version that's streaming on the internet is not <laughs> one not to watch. Not a good version. Um, well, as we were saying, it's also not a it's not a bad movie, but it is a very confused movie. Yeah. Um, and here's why. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very good reason for it. There's a it. story. There is a story. Um, we said that this was directed by Jonathan Stryker. It is, that is the credit in the, um... Opening credits. Opening credits. Uh, it's also the main, one of the main characters of the movie. Um, the reason that it is this fake character as the, as, as the director credit is because the original director of this movie is Richard Chipka. Um, he was brought on by Peter R. Simpson, who directed Prom Night, correct? Okay. Um, he, Prom Night was a massive success, uh, and, but Peter R. Simpson was like, oh, this slasher thing's really cool. He's the producer of Prom Night. Oh, Prom Night. Okay. Well, he, he produced Prom Night and he was like, wow, Prom Night did so well, made a ton of money. I would love to make another slasher, be part of another slasher project that's more for adults, more geared towards adults. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Prom Night's for teens. He wanted something that was like still the slasher genre, but a little bit older. Um, and they brought Richard Chipka in, and it, the two of them were just like, we're going to kill each other. Oh. Because Richard Chipka wanted to make an art house film. He wanted to make something really, you know, high level. And Peter R. Simpson was like, absolutely not. This is going to be like a fun, just run around the house slasher. This is not going to be serious. It's it's fun for adults. And this meant that from the go, they were, it did not work as a project. Richard Chipka left the project um, very early on. They had it said they had filmed forty five minutes. I don't know if that means that roughly forty five minutes of the film had been completed. I or have if, to imagine if he left after, after 45, filming forty five minutes, like on day one. Like, yeah, that's insane. I mean, I don't know. Uh, he left really early, and Peter R. Simpson took over. Um, and Robert Guzman Jr. is the writer of this. Uh, he was the writer for the whole project, so at least there is that kind of... But wait, so he, he the producer directed the film himself? Ended up directing the rest of the movie. So it's just one of those, like, DGA rights things that... I suppose. He couldn't put his name on it? Yeah, well, I also just think that he was... I don't, I okay, don't know how, Chupit, I don't, Chupit I don't know how much artistically of he, he, how much he did. Um, this There's also a lot of 
conflicting. They filmed a lot that they didn't include, and they they shelved it for an entire year. They did this one part of filming. They shelved it when they came back. Oh, they stopped production. They you mean. stopped production for oh. a full year. Came back with rewrites, reshoots, uh, recastings of characters, like a, insane, a full mess. How? Yeah, and the two. The two final scenes, not the little sting at the end, but um, the two final scenes, the big chase scene, and then the final, like... Confrontation. This the, yeah, this is who the killer is scene, um, were filmed a, a full entire year after it had been even, like, reinstated. Wow. So then it was released in 1983, Canada in 1984. Again, did very, very poorly. Um, we, should, we forgot to mention, this is a Canadian movie. It is a Canadian movie filmed in Canada. Oh, also, this is part of the fun of, fun of that. Um, that's I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but that is why we have an Act 1 and an Act 2 of credits. There's a whole Act 1 oh. of credits and an Act 2 of credits because it took place over these wildly different time periods. So there's a different crew. Completely different crew. Again, different actors. Like, completely different. So... It's a. It was a wild, a wild, wild, wild ride, and I want. I will talk about it at the end. There's a um, an alternate ending that did, was not was tested and did not do very well and was not included. And uh, I love it, and I sort of wish that it was in the movie. Um, but we'll talk about why it wasn't. Um, the only other thing I want to mention before we get into plot that I think is fun is that Paul Zaza is the composer of the score, and he composed Prom Night, and apparently the sting, when, like, curtains comes across the screen, is the same as the one in Prom Night. That's hilarious. So, like, <laughs> Peter R. Simpson was like, can we just make Finish the movie. Prom Night for adults? And Chipko was like, no, fuck you. But then I guess they ended up doing that anyway. But I don't think, I think that the real problem with this movie, as we'll get into, is that it is absolutely torn between being art house and slasher. Like, oh, yeah. It, it, it cannot find its feet in any way. Um, but at least that makes sense. Creatively, it was undergoing a lot of shit. And it, it, do, it doesn't really work when you look at the full picture. Agreed. I think we can, there's a lot of thematics to talk about. We could talk about... Canadian horror. We could talk about, you know, I kind of want to go down that art house trash Versus movie slasher, road. Yeah. Um, but I think we should talk about the plot. Let's do a recap yeah. of what happens in this movie. Cause there's a lot that happens. Maybe too much. Maybe too much. The, the fact that, okay, this movie is billed as six actresses all vying for the same part meet at a house. Which one of them will live and which will die, which is a great horror premise. That's like, any of those kind of like haunting of Hill House, Clue, any place where you get a bunch of people in one house and you're like, yeah, what are, what's going to happen here? It's great. I love it. I love that in anything. This movie starts off with like a completely different plot and there's a whole asylum thing that happens in the beginning. There's nothing with anything else. It's like, it's way too much. This movie starts off with a veteran actress, a Catherine Hepburn alike. She is so bargain bin Catherine Hepburn. Uh, named Samantha Sherwood, who is rehearsing for a role... In a film called Audra. Audra. She's working with Jonathan Stryker, the aforementioned, mm -hmm. who is director. the director of this film. Samantha gets herself committed to a mental institution, and it's not clear at first what's going on, but it turns out that she is voluntarily entering the mental institution and pretending to be insane. Yeah, she's faking it. Uh, in order to research the role of Audra. And this goes so south, like, immediately. She finds out, so she she pretends to be crazy to get in the mental institution, uh... She, like, lunges at him with a knife. Yeah. Like, it's, it's extremely dumb. 
she finds out very quickly, because she gets variety in the institution, which is fascinating, <laughs> that Stryker is uh, open casting for Audra and is looking for a hot young thing, yeah. a he, much, like, much younger actress yeah. to he, like, play the role. purposefully put her in the asylum or like assisted in her getting in there in order. And like he's the one who signs her in. So he has like he's put in on her the plan. away. He's in on the plan from the beginning, but his plan... Do you think his plan from the beginning was to leave her there? Or do you think that he yes. saw what was happening to her? Because this is what also happens, is that she does kind of go a little nuts in this asylum. Like, she completely exemplifies that situation of, like, if you get into this position and you are around people who are out of touch with reality, you yourself may become detached from reality because that's your surroundings. And her performance, we should say, she looks a little like Catherine Hepburn. It's much more of a Joan Crawford type role where it's just like over the top crazy. It's not like uh, intelligent, believable, like... No, and it is ridiculous that it doesn't... It's not saying anything intelligent about this man's 1983, but, like, it's literally just that she's in this asylum, and she hears a lot of people screaming and laughing, and she's like, oh, no, now I'm crazy. It's like, okay. But it does... But it is... Like, it does... It it it, it creates something in her, or it unearths something in her, and she ends up escaping. She goes to a friend's house who we never see again, which sucks, because that friend was incredible. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. She's got this friend whose face we never see, who's laying in bed drinking wine while uh, Samantha burns the other headshots, which I don't know how she got them, yeah. uh, of these other girls. And talks about how she's like, I escaped and you helped me and I'm going to get my part back and I'll be Audra if it, I have to kill everyone or whatever. She gives some maniacal Villain speech. Villain speech, yeah. Um, and, but this, I was like, who's this friend? What is happening here? She's the coolest. And then we never see her again, which is a massive bummer. It makes me wonder about, you know, reshoots and stuff. So that's the first 15 to 20 minutes of this movie. Way too long let's, of the movie. Let's set all the Samantha Asylum stuff aside because the movie does until yeah. she shows up at the house. Right, which of course she does. We also have six young women. Uh, do you remember all their names? I have them written down if you want me to just oh, list them off right great. now. Patty. She's a stand-up comic. We see her doing stand-up comedy, her little routine at a bar. Brooke. She's a veteran actress. She's very famous. Very famous. A little on the older side. British. Like British. She's kind of the most Samantha Sherwood of them. Yes. Um, but she's also kind of, it's it's seen in variety that she's kind of the headliner for the part. Yeah. Um, Amanda. She's the only blonde. She is the only blonde. The rest <laughs> only of these women are brunettes. Uh, and well, she... We should say, we don't know what color their hair is. This movie is so dark. <laughs> but all of them are indistinguishable. This is why I don't remember their names. Yeah. Except for, I actually think Patty really stands Patty out. Patty has really big curly hair. The rest and of them look exactly Brooke like. Brooke does because she's British. Yes. The well, other not ones, talking. The other ones you're about to name, I don't really remember who yeah. they are because as you might imagine for an 85 minute movie with six protagonists, yeah. there isn't really a lot of room to... It's not even f- six. It's, it's seven. Well, also Jonathan. Anyway. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's eight, but Amanda dies very quickly. That's what I was going to say. Amanda is the only blonde, and she dies immediately, very unhelpfully. This movie doesn't have... Setting aside the production issues, it simply doesn't have the bandwidth 
to flesh out these characters. No, thank God Amanda dies because can we do with eight main characters at this house? Absolutely not. So Amanda dies really quickly. She has this like rape fantasy with her boyfriend. Yeah. That was very surreal. Um, and then she has a dream where there's a, this, I, I will mention the dream only because I think it works. It's one of the best parts of this movie by a long shot, which is that she's dry. It's like, it's the idea is that she's driving to the house. She sees something in the middle of the road. She gets out. It's a doll and it's standing up. And it's reaching out its arms. At first I thought it was pointing, which I thought was cool. But then yeah. it looks, then you see that it's both hands and it's reaching and she goes over to it. What happens to the, oh, it grabs her. The doll grabs her. She wakes up. She gets stabbed by. Actually, she, you forgot about the part of her dream where she gets hit by a car. Oh, she gets hit. The, she's, the, the doll has grabbed her and then her car starts and hits her and she wakes up. Um, and then gets stabbed. The doll is so creepy and the way that it is unseeingly reaching out for something I think is like it works on a metaphorical level it works on a visual level I think that it is like so unbelievably perfect it made me want a lot better for this movie because I think it's really smart and it's really well shot I love it I think it's great it's like the best part of this movie by far the dream sequence is quite good she wakes up and then is stabbed by a killer in a like Hag mask is how they describe it. it. I mean, it's an old woman. It's like old an old woman, witchy woman. And then long red hair, like strawberry blonde hair, which was so weirdly off-putting. I don't know what was so unpleasant about the yeah. red hair, but it's unpleasant as fuck. Um, the thing I have to say about this sequence, this Amanda sequence, is that it really feels like Chupka was a Dario Argento fan. Yeah, it has, it's, absolutely. It's so heightened and so like weirdly surreal that it feels like that's the kind of art house he was aspiring to. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Argento is a perfect example of when we're talking about movies that are mixed up with the do we want to be exploitation trash or do we want to be art house? Yes. Dario Argento has a lot of trouble with that sometimes too. Right. Because he makes some... This isn't exclusive to yeah. bad movies. This happens also with good movies too. Yeah. Uh, it's just so interesting that I thought that like, I completely agree with you that this segment of the movie implied something much more interesting was about to happen. And again, we haven't even gotten to the part where there's a house full of the actual plot, the of actresses. The yes. Yeah. Because Amanda dies before she even leaves, which is, yeah. which feels weird script wise because it's not six actresses. It's, it's only ever five. And for her to Although have the sixth is Samantha. for her to have the, like the fact that she has a boyfriend who she enacts these sexual fantasies with, feels like way too much exposition for, for someone who's about to die. For a character who's on screen for two more minutes. Yeah, you know? I agree. It's so weird. I mean, although, you know, that is that is kind of a trick. I know it's a trick. I know it's a trick, but it 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 leaves me the it viewer work. Yeah. with the question of why did you make me watch her enact this rape like it, it masked intruder rape fantasy. And it goes on for a long time too. It's bit, like yeah. we watch a we watch a, a hefty amount of this movie where she is moving around her house, taking a bath, looking at the script, drinking wine. Although I did see it coming because she puts make she puts her pajamas on and then puts makeup on. Yeah. And I was like Where are you going? I think the man who's about to break into her house is her boyfriend. I had the thought. So it it does telegraph it. It does, but it's still trying to trick the viewer even if it is playing oh, fair. Oh absolutely. It's absolutely. playing fair, but you yes. know so she's dead. We've got five gals left. Uh, the other three, as we said, indistinguishable from each other, are Lorian, Tara, and Christy. Lorian is a ballet dancer. Tara is a musician, and Christy is a figure skater. Tara's tall, or Lorian's no, tall? No, Lorian's tall. Tara is busty. Christy is young. Those are their. This is like um. <laughs> Natasha Pierre, the Great <laughs> Comet. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lion is a slut. <laughs> That's literally what this is. What is it? An Andre isn't here. An Andre, An Andre isn't, isn't here. here. <laughs> um, so they're all there except for Amanda. Obviously, uh, Samantha shows up, um, makes a dramatic entrance. They're all sitting and eating together. Um, they're all like, what would you do for the part? I'd kill for it. I'd fuck for it. Like, you know, just bit your basic nonsense. Um, Tara it shows her sluttiness because she has sex with the caretaker in the hot tub. Yes. Where that caretaker eventually is found dead. Ooh, foreshadowing. Um, Christy is the first to die at the house. She has a dramatic evening where she first talks to Brooke and Patty who are like, the cynics. Yeah. They're sitting in their bedrooms smoking weed and talking about being old. I don't know. Um, Chrissy's just like, she's young and she's the bright ingenue. eyed. She's the ingenue. She's bright eyed. She has sex with Jonathan um, after she hears Jonathan and Samantha fighting. And then they pretend like they were just doing a scene from a play. And she's like, woo, theater. She has sex with um, Jonathan. He leaves her like he, he doesn't snuggle and she's really upset <laughs> about it. So the next morning she decides to go get her, you know, feelings out by going and skating. I think this is also a successful sequence. What do you think? It's very Canadian. <laughs> Like, because there's skating in the woods? Yeah. She does just find a frozen pond to skate on, which is nuts. Because you can tell that it's not, like, uh, you know, there's no, what are those things called? Zambonis? Yes. Out here. Um, so there's just, like, bumps and everything. And uh, she, the, act the actress, while doing this, even though she trained to figure skate, she hurt herself almost immediately because it was so bumpy. And so the whole thing is basically done by a stunt double. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this production did not go well. And you can tell too, I was watching for it because I was like, she's doing some good skating there. Like, is that really her? No. And then I noticed that it clearly wasn't her because then they have one shot where she's like clearly on like a dolly or something. She's just kind of moving through space and you're like, she is not skating. Um, you're telling me they put a dolly on this pond? I don't know. They did something. Um, she, anyway, she finds the doll. She does. Out buried in the, in the snow. snow. This doll, this is the doll's last appearance, which is really unfortunate. That's not true. It shows up in the basement. Does it really? Yeah. You can barely see. We'll talk about it later. Right. But it's true. There's a lengthy sequence at the end where also very Argento-like. I didn't think about this before recording, but. <laughs> now you're like, wait a second. This is, this is, is a Chuka lot. Is a genius? Yeah. There's also a, a doll as a major role of Argento's Deep Red. The hag masked killer. Which is a bit of a tongue twister. Hag <laughs> mask killer. Shows up, chases Skating her. Skating towards her. <laughs> shows chases her on ice skate. There's like a chase sequence and kills her. Yeah. There's a it has that kind of classic the the, the sickle, because we, we see um him sharpening a sickle earlier. And the sickle as a weapon is very horrifying. Because I think he does it, I guess he only does it the once, but he decapitates her. She's like up against a tree. She thinks she's safe. And he just comes up from behind, grabs her mouth and just decapitates her. He also her. decapitates the doll. Yes, he does. That's how she's kind of like protects herself in the beginning. He slices the doll's head off. Um, it's, I think it's actually a very good tense scene. I thought she'd gotten away for a minute and then I had to go back in my notes and be like, nope, she's dead. After, do you want to talk about the acting studio stuff? I do, stuff? actually, because this was one of my favorite lines of the whole movie, and I recognize that it is goofy as fuck. Okay. But I kind of loved it. Go ahead. So, I think this was done really poorly. I mean, again, it's really sad because this movie's cut together very badly, but I almost can't blame them. But it sucks that, we, that this is... Jonathan is, like, doing annoying director things with the remaining girls... Um, and he has the hag mask. 
And I think that this is a real, this is very poorly done that we see him with the hag mask after the hag has done murders. Yeah. It seems like it'd be better if he had it from the beginning and then the hag does murders and we're like, oh, it could be Jonathan, but obviously someone could have just taken it from him. We're missing a scene here where the hag like puts it back in Jonathan's bag or something. Like we just don't know where Jonathan got this. Was it always his? Like it just raises a lot of questions and not good ones. I think like genuine, like what is going on question. At this point in the movie, I was fairly convinced that it was Samantha. I thought that it was obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I definitely didn't think that anyone else either had the motivation or that like Jonathan would be luring them here again in a different movie. Maybe Jonathan would be luring them here to kill. No, but he wants to make his movie. Doesn't make any sense. Also, Everyone like Variety published the fact that this is happening, right. so like it would <laughs> no, be the worst. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's there's no reason that we'd go. Oh, Jonathan has the mask. It must be him. Like it just doesn't make sense. Where where did he did he find it? Did he bring it here himself? What's going? It just it it raised questions, not like interesting plot questions. Like wait a minute, is this a plot hole? Question. Should we talk you know at least I mean? why he has the mask? I don't know why he has the mask, but when Samantha crashes this little session, she's always she's never invited to no, anything. He, she just who, crashes. Who, who's acting in that scene? It's Samantha. It's Samantha. Oh, it yeah. is Samantha. Samantha shows up. She comes in and he's like, "Oh, you want the fucking part, Samantha? You want to be Audra so bad?" And he makes her wear the mask, and he he's like, "Seduce me." He says, "Yeah." He says, "You can't use your you can't use your actual beauty." Use your eyes. Use your. I don't even think he says you can't use your hands. Right. Use yeah. your eyes and use your like energy and seduce me. And he specifically says, uh, he says, use that terrible beauty. And then he, again, this is like, it's, it doesn't work in this movie, but in a different movie, it would have knocked me on my ass. He, she's doing a very bad job. She's like clearly kind of like a giant rubber mask. She's, she's thrown off. I'm not saying that nobody could do this. I think that she's, she came in with a plan and now he has thrown her off her game he tears the mask off of her. He grabs her face and he points it at the mirror and he says, this is a mask too. And again, I think that that is like, it doesn't work in this movie because this movie is not smart enough to deserve it. But I think that in a different movie, that would be very compelling. I hear you. It really just reminded me that, uh, acting is not a profession for people who don't want to be abused, I guess. (laughs) Because this is the shit that goes on. Is it that is. directors treat you like shit. It really is. To pull a performance out of that you. That sounded very victim blaming of me. I'm just saying, like, you have to really want to be an actor to be I mean, an actor. I which was is an why actor. I'm not an actor. I went to school for acting. It fucking sucks. It, everything about it sucks. I, I'm so glad we have actors because we it means we have movies in theater. It is a it is a, a necessary uh an important art. Um but you couldn't acting? Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't pay me any money to do it. It'd be great if directors stopped abusing people, though. Yeah. <laughs> that would be better. I think that every, I think that directors often have a different idea of what makes art worth it, right? Like, that's what they think, is like, if I can do what it takes to pull a great performance out of this person, then am I doing something wrong? And of course they are, but they don't see it that way, which is psychotic. Yeah. The older I get, the more I get sick of these, like, stories. I mean, even fucking, like, Kubrick on The Shining, right? Oh, it's like... terrible. Also because it's not necessary. And we've seen 
directors who we know are not abusive pull incredible performances out of actors. Yeah. They don't, it, it's not necessary. It's like the same argument as like, oh, you need to be super depressed to make good art. You don't. No. You don't actually. And in you fact, can... by perpetuating that, it's extremely harmful. And often you, you don't really anyway, because you can't, you can't fully access the part of yourself, you know, that makes good art if you, if you're closed off to something. So like, you know, let's just dis let's disavow all of these myths during another acting session, uh, he has two of the women, like, seduce each other. Yes. Because, again, he's a real creep. Which is annoyingly shot um, as if we are supposed to believe that these two are actually seducing each other. Uh, and I will tell you this now because it's important to me. Do you remember when I rolled this on the roulette and something popped up and I was like, oh, and then I was like, I'm not going to tell you because yeah. I'm going to be surprised. It said LGBTQ plus films. In what way? In no ways. And so when the scene started, I was like, is this it? Is our Lorian and Tara going to be like gay for each other? No, it's, it's actually just continued abuse by Jonathan Stryker. So I'm very mad about Amazon prime uh, video for uh, selling it that way, selling it this way. The only other thing that I could imagine is that it's Samantha and her uh, faceless friend. Where's that storyline? I mean the same way, maybe the same way that, Joan Crawford films are like gay icon That's films. That's what I was wondering if this yeah. was just like a cult gay film because it's dramatic and yeah, uh, you know, fun. But it isn't even really that. It isn't. It doesn't even really come across as like a gay icon movie. I agree. It's as we've just said, colorless and dull. It's not I'm, exciting at all. I'm glad I didn't know that because I would have held it against this movie. <laughs> I do, in fact. I mean, not against the movie. I hold it. I hold it against Amazon Prime Video for um, classifying it that way. Anyway. There's a very scary scene in a bathroom. When Brooke discovers Christie's head in the toilet? Yes. Well, there's a... I think it's done very well. I'm, like, really praising this movie. There's, yeah. like, some sequences... And this is... It goes downhill right after this. But Brooke is in the bathroom. She is painting her nails, which I think is really great because it's... She's not just painting her nails. She's looking at her nails, realizing two of them are fucked up, and taking the polish off two of them in order to redo them, which is something I do all the time. So I was like, really, I felt very seen by that, that like, since the 80s, women have been noticing the flaws in their nail polish and redoing just one finger. Um, I think that's very funny. But she spills the nail polish, which has a nice kind of bloody effect because it's like a red nail polish. And as she's doing this, um, you see the hag, clearly the hag because of the hair silhouette, in the shower, melt in and out of view, like of just the shadow. So you see the shadow kind of come to the forefront of the shower curtain and then go back in and then come back out again and then go back in. And I will tell you that I am fucking terrified of shower curtains. They have always been my number one. I always thought Psycho was really stupid because I was like, I'm not afraid of someone coming into the shower and stabbing me while I'm showering. I'm afraid of being in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, brushing my teeth or something, and someone ripping open the shower curtain yeah. to stab me. So like this is my absolute nightmare. And then she finds Christie's head in the toilet and the movie literally do you agree goes completely anything that any potential they built up, any goodwill they built up for me it was over from this point on. Yeah. I think that you liked it more than me up to this point, but yes, I agree that from here on out, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't even know. No. Do you feel like we can really recap it? I lost yes. track so quick. They oh, die. No, I can tell you. Lorraine is killed while she dances. She's doing a little, ba not ballet routine, a weird little modern dance routine. Sure, but we have no she sense of like when it is after this, really. 
Is it no, that day? It is that day. Is everything else that happens the rest of that day and then that night? Yes. Okay. Lorian's killed while she dances. Brooke freaks out about the head in the toilet and goes to Stryker and he's like, you're crazy and there's no head in the toilet. And then he apparently takes advantage of her to sleep with her, but we don't really see what that looks like. It's just that Samantha, right, bursts in and sees the two of them together mm-hmm. um, in bed together. So the implication being that Brooke like was feeling self-conscious and slept with Stryker. So he's, his body count uh, sexually is just going up. Yes. Um, but, oh, I guess we don't know what Samantha. Somebody comes in and shoots them, um, both of them, and they... Fall out the window. Fall out the window. It is so obviously Samantha. No one else would want to kill Stryker. Yes. He is. He has a job dangling over them. Yes. The rest of them obviously want him alive. They want to be Audra. Um, but Samantha has specific uh, vendetta against any of the girls and Stryker. So she shoots them both. They plummet out the window, breaking glass, etc. Um, I would like to talk about... Right after this is a shot that is so clouded in darkness that I still don't know what it is. <laughs> in my head, my imagination is filled in that I think it's Stryker's body uh-huh. like that fell through the first floor window. Okay. Do you know what shot I'm talking about? Not at all. Okay, it doesn't matter. There's a shot that appears here and then we return to that literally, it's because of the lack of depth uh, on the blacks of of the image. I literally don't know what it is. And this is true for the rest of this movie because now it's nighttime that the film is nearly unwatchable for this entire night sequence. Yes, the rest of this point on. Because you just can't You literally the film is too low quality like it's too grainy and the color is so bad that I do not know what is happening. Yeah. Wait, shit. Before we go on to the rest of it I forgot about my favorite scene. For some reason I didn't put it in my notes. What? Patty is in the living room. This is pre-Striker's death. Because he comes and talks to her, and she's making jokes. She's the stand-up comic. She's just, like, ribbing him. And then... uh, This is your favorite scene? Yeah, because I like Patty. She's the only character I find compelling, even at all. Um, And he's like, oh my god, you could never be Audra. You have... There's nothing serious about you. You're, like, you're just waiting for the next punchline. And then she, like, yells at him. And it doesn't come across like she's really in the right. She's, like floundering with her own desire to like be the fun funny one and also be taken seriously and she's not doing a good job but he's also being an asshole i don't agree that she's not in the right that he's he's horrible he has no idea she she gives a big speech at him where she's like you have no idea you have not seen me you're being rude to me you have not talked to me at all you have no idea what i'm capable of you literally haven't seen me act why are you coming in here and telling me this and i think she's completely in the right that's true, but she hasn't tried to do it either. She came here with her persona of comedy and has continued that, whereas the rest of them are are trying to be the Audra that he wants, which, again, is wrong, but it's like her saying, you never took me seriously. It's like, you didn't ask to be taken seriously at all. I, I think it's it's complicated. Sure. I just think, I again, I like Patty. She's my favorite character. She's I the love most this interesting speech. of them. I love this speech. It's just that she... She almost fulfills his expectations because she then takes it so over the top and kind of has like a meltdown. A meltdown, and he just can and he can just write her off, and that's not her fault. But it's a frustrating scene to watch because you're like, oh my god, Patty, don't just go from cracking jokes to crying. Like you're there right. has to be something here. Like it's it's it's. I think it's a great scene because it's so frustrating. But anyway, skipping ahead, Stryker's dead, Brooks dead, Lorian's dead. Uh. 
Tara's dead? Tara is not dead. At this moment, Tara becomes the final girl. Oh, yeah. It's so stupid. We know nothing about this character <laughs> except that she's slutty. She's done one thing, which is sleep with Matthew. I guess she also was seduced by Lorian. I'm impressed that you know the caretaker's name. I did not ever know it. That's because I looked at the Wikipedia. They never <laughs> say it. They never say his name. It's so, it's, oh my Anyway, God. she gets chased all around the basement, which has all kinds of movie prop stuff. It's, it a, is... it's a prop shed. She leaves the house. She like, she walks, she runs out she's into in the shed? snow. Yeah, she runs out into the snow. because that's, that's, I couldn't that's when, see. That's when I she couldn't sees, see what was happening. That's when she sees Matthew's body in the hot tub. And then oh, she runs right. into the prop shed. Anyway, this would be really interesting visually if there was anything to see. Correct. Because um, there's lots of fun signs, there's a, mannequins. She, she tries to open a door and then she looks up and the signs, it's like a dead end sign, like a street sign. Which That's, I loved. It was, a, a, fun, fun it was a fun gag. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's so boring. I, I literally, literally wrote, I have one note. I wrote in all caps. I wish I could see anything. Yeah. Could, this, this set piece might be really good. I don't know because mm-hmm. Prime served us a really terrible transfer. <laughs> yes. And she basically, her last moments are she ends up hiding. She finds Lorian's body. She's she's strung up like all the other mannequins. She ends up hiding in the ventilation shaft. There's mm-hmm. like a nice tense moment where she can't get the um the like cover back on. There's like a cloth stuck in it, and it's a nice little tense moment of like get it on. She's coming. The hag is in the room. She thinks the hag is gone. She takes a big you know deep breath, and then the hag comes from behind and sucks her into the vent. Presumably kills her with an axe. So now we are down to two, and then there were two. Samantha and Patty. One of them is the hag, presumably, unless the hag is a completely random person. They have a confrontation in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Drinking well, champagne. Oh, we didn't Everybody talk Everybody is drinking champagne constantly in this movie, and I kind of love it. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense if you assume that everyone is just like a little bit champagne drunk. A little drunk. champagne drunk? Just a little <laughs> Yeah. And they're all probably, they're all so irritable because they've been fucking drinking all day. Yeah, they've so got like, like champagne headaches. Yeah. <laughs> that actually explains a lot. Wow, this movie makes sense now. We just unlocked it. I mean, why dance around it? Samantha's like, I killed Stryker. And Patty's like, yeah, and I killed everyone else. And you're dead too. Yeah, it's actually, I think it kind of works because I think that what always works in a kind of slasher like this is that you're in your head going, well, this couldn't have been her because she was here. And that couldn't have been her because why would she do that? And the fact that it's both of them and that they both had their kind of unique motivations that in Patty's mind, she was going to kill all of the girls and be left with Stryker and get the role. And Samantha would be happy killing Stryker and Brooke and then no one gets the role. And so it it works that they've been working at odds with each other. And uh, Patty's... It's a great... She says, I... She's like, I killed Stryker. But don't worry, I won't hurt you or any of your other friends. And Patty's like, like, what? They're all dead. They're... It doesn't matter, man. And then so she kills her. And so then the last... She kills her. She... Uh, Patty kills Samantha. Patty kills Samantha. <laughs> she stabs her. Um, the just, last... What? She kills her? She kills her in a movie... In she a kills her. You'll never know. You'll never know who killers. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last scene is Patty. She's back, presumably in the same asylum from the beginning. Is she back or did she never leave? I think she's back. I Or not back. She's I, in the asylum. She's doing her stand-up routine. It's the same stand-up no. routine we heard earlier. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, she's doing Audra. No, she's not. That's the yes, same stand-up the routine. the sign says Audra. She's hearing the stand-up routine in her head. She's she's not saying it. She's doing Audra. The su- there's a sign that says like Audra one night only. I thought she was reciting the standard routine. No, I don't know. I couldn't tell. It's a voiceover. The... How could I tell it's a voiceover? I can't see anyone's lips move. Fair enough. It's a voiceover which I only know because I thought maybe they were suggesting that she had always that her. I think there's th- two options here, or maybe three. 
She was doing her stand-up routine in the asylum. She escaped, went to the house, and is now back in the asylum. Yeah. Or she's always been in the asylum the entire movie. Everything was concocted in her brain. Three, the stand-up routine in the bar was real. The whole house was real. She's in an insane asylum now and is just rethinking, remembering her stand-up routine, and now she's doing Audra for the rest of the people in the asylum. And the whole point being that she is doing it for them and they don't care. Nobody is watching. She did all this. She's doing Audra. She's doing what she really wanted, and nobody cares, and no one gives a shit. Yeah, the core question is, when did she decide to become the Joker? Right. <laughs> well, here's the alternate ending. I want to know what you think about this. Oh, this is the one that isn't in the movie. This is not in the movie. They filmed this. It was tested. It did know, not test well. Do you know who filmed it? Uh, Peter R. Simpson. Okay. Um, he filmed a scene where Patty... I believe the same stage where Samantha does the very first monologue where the movie opens. Mm -hmm. She is on that stage, surrounded by the bodies of all of her victims. And she does the Audra monologue, or she does some dramatic monologue. She kind of has her final villainous moment on the stage with all of her victims. Yeah. Do you vote yay or nay? Yay. People didn't like it. Would you like to know why? (laughs) The stupidest reason. They found it unrealistic that she would have been able to drag all of these bodies. Oh my god! Them. It's so dumb. That's what you nitpick in this movie. That's the nitpick. That's the thing. It's like mm, I don't know. Do you think this little woman would have really been able to drag all this fucker's body? Up? That sucks. That's know. a much better ending. It's a much better ending. I love the full circle, the cyclical. I don't love this arrested and put in an insane asylum ending at all, or the ambiguity of maybe she was always there. Agreed. Like, I think that her. I think that like. The the way the movie actually ends with her performing and no one's listening and she feels uh, upset by that versus that she's on the stage doing Audra and nothing else matters. It doesn't even matter if anyone's watching, but she is Audra. She's she's achieved it. I find that so much more compelling and I'm really bummed it isn't the ending of this movie. Agreed. That's a much better ending. Curtains. Brian Orndorff of Blu-ray.com said... Curtains isn't a single film, it's a handful of subplots and ideas competing for screen time under the guise of a traditional 80s-style slasher. And I fully agree. There's so many little ideas in this, and it just isn't a movie. It really no. isn't. It doesn't come together. It certainly isn't. As I've said throughout this episode, I think that there are, like, real, real moments of potential here. I think that there are real... There's interesting ideas interesting, and concepts. And interesting scenes, like, really great shots, the ones you can see. You know, like... I, I didn't think... see many. <laughs> but there's a couple, and I really like them, and I'm very bummed that this... Didn't turn out? Yeah, was kind of disappointing. Also because I think it was a really good roulette pick. I think we yeah. get so many bad 2000s movies. We get so many bad 2000s movies, you guys. So many. We've seen too many. And I love that we got an, an 80s slasher. That that neither of us had heard of. Yeah, I think it's so fun. And I'm bummed that it wasn't... I mean, here's the thing. The bar is low for me for an 80s slasher. They can just be fun. Yeah. They don't have to be elevated. Not everything has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. But this was particularly... And again, not really the fault of one person. This, was a, this was a Chipka Simpson... Sandwich disaster. Like, I would watch. I would watch a Blu-ray featurette of how this happened, of the the disaster of this with interviews and yeah. stuff. 
Yeah. I wonder if that Blu-ray that exists has it. If not, Arrow Video needs to get on it. <laughs> Call up Arrow right now. This is like a this is prime for an Arrow just like it really is. restoration and then just like the stories of what the fuck happened here. It really is. I'm I'm bummed, but I'm also unlike some of the some of the things we watch on here, I'm really glad we watched it. Sometimes I'm like that was a waste of my time and I'm angry that my hours have been stolen from me this yeah. way. <laughs> this is a pretty short movie. Um too short. Too short. Could have used some fleshing out, genuinely. Um, but was something I was really happy with in general. Are you ready to, after uh, doing exclusively sickle killings for an entire film, uh, <laughs> shoot this and let it fall backwards out of a window? <laughs> I mean, that's why it worked, right? Because it was two different killers. Anyway, yes, I am. Why don't you pull up that roulette and we'll find something, hopefully, that was a completed film by its filmmakers. <laughs> Our next movie will be The Return of the Living Dead. Oh my God. We're just like living in the 80s right now. Have you seen this? No, but I've seen, we're going to talk about this more. There's a movie, documentary movie we've been watching and this was just mentioned and I actually was excited about it. So this is very fortuitous. We should absolutely watch it. Is it on Shudder? It is on Shudder. Shudder. Everyone should watch this. It's a zombie. It's a zombie. Um... Flick. Horror comedy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love a horror comedy. Yeah, it's not like um, Death Gism. It's more like... Stop. It's more in the vein of, uh, <laughs> you know, the 80s, obviously. This is a good one. People should watch this. We'll have fun with this next episode. However, our next episode is going to be a little different. Should we Should we tease people with what it is? Uh, yeah, why not? We're going to do uh, alternating weeks. We're going to try something new. Uh, in between our roulette episodes, which I think is like a core part it's of who the, we are. It's the now screaming experience. It's the suffering we endure. We also watch a lot of other horror movies, and there isn't really a room to talk about that in when you're the already episode, listening to yeah. a 45 minute episode about a roulette movie. Uh-huh. So our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching and some recent recommendations we have. Um, spoiler alert, a lot of it. a little bit before, but never as its own episode. Never as an episode. And often when we were really late on an episode, we'd be like, here's what we've been doing. <laughs> By the way, here's what we've been watching. Next episode is going to be that. Uh, we can preview that that documentary, In Search of Darkness, will be something yeah. we're talking about. Uh, as well as maybe some of the stuff on Shudder. So maybe. Check that out. Yeah. We'll see you sooner than maybe a month. That's your usual, your usual in between episodes. <laughs> It hasn't been that bad lately. Not We've been doing a little bit better. Not as good as we should be doing in quarantine, but a little bit better. I'm sure the people understand. It's hard, to, it's hard to get up and do anything. Yeah, it's that quarantine brain. All right, until next time, everybody, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Be sure to swing by our Twitter and our swing Facebook. By. Leave us a like. Leave us a comment. Talk to us. Give us a review on iTunes. We love them. We see you from two years ago telling us to do more plot explanations in our episodes, which is why this episode is so long. When we're doing like uh, pre-production for episodes, we do talk about the fact that like how much like plot should we talk about? Yeah, I like going through the plot. I w- that was a very helpful comment for me. Liz Smart, do talk more plot. I love it. Thanks as always to Wes Craven and to Richard Chipka or Peter Simpson, but not both of them. <laughs> Only one of them. They don't make a good team, unfortunately. (laughs) Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.